We are in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start reading from verse 27. And remember the context of Hebrews chapter 11 is that this is a portion that was written for the people living in Judea, not in Jerusalem, but in Judea. They were believers because it, it, it uh, repeatedly refers to them as brethren. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to share with them the importance of remaining faithful to Jesus, faithful to the Messiah, because many of them are thinking about going back under Judaism, back into Judaism, so that they can avoid the persecution. And what he tells them is, if you do that, you're going to die. And he doesn't mean that you're going to die spiritually. He means that they're going to die physically because they're going to end up back in Jerusalem and they'll end up being killed by the 70 AD destruction. And so this is part of what he's trying to renew with them where he's giving them this list of men and women who really love the Lord and how they learned how to walk by faith. So we're we're considering now Moses. We considered him a little bit last week and the week before, but we'll consider him again further on in verse 27, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, he passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through the dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So look at this first passage in 27. By faith, that's Moses, by faith he, Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So this, is, this could well be that this is his second departure from Egypt. His first departure from Egypt says he fled because the Pharaoh tried to kill him, have him killed, because he killed an Egyptian, because uh, Moses had killed an Egyptian. Now he's been brought back into the land, and he's taking the children of Israel back out with him. And he says he was not fearing the wrath of the king. He did not fear the wrath of the king. So how was it that he did not fear the wrath of the king this time? By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. By faith. Faith kept him from having fear. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So when we have faith, there's a nugget of truth revealed to us. It can keep us from fearing. Faith can help us to overcome fear. <clears throat> For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. So hold on to that thought. We are going to go back to the book of Exodus, back to the book of Exodus, and we're going to look down in, in, the, in the end of chapter 2 of the book of Exodus, in verse 15, Exodus chapter 2, verse 15. This is the first time that Moses had left Egypt. It says, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, some authors would say that he didn't even fear at this time, that he only fled because the children of Israel themselves rejected him. Maybe that is so. But then he goes into the land of Midian. 
He finds a wife there and he spends 40 years, 40 years shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Remember, he had gone from living in the house of Pharaoh, being trained in all the ways of Pharaoh, we learned in, in Acts chapter 7. He was, he was eloquent. He was, he was mighty in word and in deed. Now in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a burning bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside and see this. Let's skip down to verse 6. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look. So the angel of the Lord starts speaking to him out of the midst of the fire. Verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good land and a spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Remember when Moses was 40, he felt God calling him to deliver his, his brethren. And he took matters into his own hands and he killed a man. And he wasn't yet ready. He had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. That was his penalty for killing a man. And God then says to him, you're ready now. Verse 10 of Exodus chapter 3. Now, he says, therefore, now come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So look what God does. God says to Moses, I want you now to deliver my people out of the land of Egypt. All it was, was an appearance in the midst of the fire. And this angel of God who spoke to him and said, I want you to deliver him out of Egypt. There, was no, there were no miracles to convince him that this was the angel of the Lord. It was just this word, go and deliver them. Now Moses sought for all these other things to happen. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Remember, when he was 40 years old, he was ready to go. Now at 80 years old, spending 40 years in the hot sun, he's no longer ready. The man's 80 years old. He says, who am I to go? And he said, certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. So God, first of all, called him. When Moses complained a little bit, he said, look, I'll give you a sign. The sign is this. When you bring them out, you're going to worship God right here back in this very same mountain. And you think of it. You think, well, you know, what is that going to do for me while I'm over there trying to get them out? Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So excuse after excuse. At first he said, You know, I, I can't go. And he said, Okay, I'll give you this sign. You worship God in this mountain. He says, Well, when I go to them, they're going to say, What's the name of this God who sent me? And then, you know, God tells them, Say, I am who I am. And so then Moses complains again in, in, in Exodus chapter 4. He says, what if, 
in verse 1, Exodus 4, verse 1, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? So in other words, what should I say to them? Who should I say sent me? And then God tells them what he should say. He said, well, what if they don't believe me? I mean, this is a guy making a lot of excuses. Remember, when the Lord first called him, he just said, go. So the Lord starts having him, giving him signs. He says, that staff in your hand, throw it down. The staff becomes a snake, a serpent, and then he says, pick it up by its tail. Very hard to pick up a serpent by its tail. You have to grab it. But he had him pick it up by its tail to show him God's power. Turns back into a, into a snake. Then he shows him another sign. He says, put your hand into your, in, 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 into your, your breast, pull it back out, and it came out leprous. He says, now stick it back in, pull it back out, it came back whole again. So he gave him these two signs. The signs were never intended in the beginning. It, the signs only came as, as, uh, as he complained. And then he complained more. He says in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now remember what it said in Acts chapter 7, which we read. He was a man mighty in word and in deed. But Moses looked at himself as not being eloquent, or he just used that as another excuse. And, and, uh, and, and then, then God said, look, who's made man's mouth? I've made man's mouth. Don't worry, I'll take care of that. And then he made some, some uh, then he says down in verse 13, but he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. So he came up with all these excuses, and then God solved every one of the excuses. Then he says, Lord, forget it. Just call somebody else. And then in verse 14, then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, is there not your brother Aaron? The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. After this point, Moses never complained again. It's sort of like this. Did you ever push your mother to the point where you knew she was going to explode and then you just back off? That's just, that's, that's enough. Then you just back off. Then you know what I mean. That he pushed the Lord to the point where the Lord's anger was burning and Moses was like, okay, all right. There was no more complaining after that. And, uh, and, and, and so Moses then went. But what did it say back in, 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 uh, in Hebrews chapter 11? It says, and he endured by seeing him who is unseen. He endured by seeing him who is unseen. It does not say he endured by thinking about the miracles that God had showed him where he made his hand leprous and then healed it in front of him, where he took his staff and turned it into a serpent and then had it turned back into a staff. None of that was convincing to Moses when the onslaught came. When the times of pressure came upon him, how did he endure 40 years in the wilderness with a complaining people? He endured by seeing Him who is unseen. It is out of a depth of relationship with God that you will endure. If you cry out for a sign, that will only take care of you momentarily. But in time, that will start to become dull and you'll start to forget that. You will endure by seeing Him who is unseen. That is the way that you will endure. By the knowledge of God that you have, you can endure by seeing Him who is unseen. That is how He endured. 
And you see the same sort of thing in other calls. Look in, 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 uh, in Judges, the book of Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, verse 14, is the call to Gideon to send him out. And this is what he says in, in, verse, in verse 14. This is what the Lord did with Gideon. He says, the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? That's it. Now he ends up giving signs to Midian because Midian complains that I need some signs to go. But that is not what will sustain him. Go in this thy strength. Have I not commanded you? Go in this thy strength. Have I not commanded you? It is seeing him who is unseen. Him who is unseen. It is understanding the word of God. On the day that I was saved, it was as if Jesus Christ filled that room and the presence of God just moved in on me. To this day, 40 years later, I hearken back to that day that I got saved. That day that He came into my life. And there were little scripture verses that were dropped into my life that have caused me to be able to walk in what He's had for me, come what may. And I'll share with you one of, one of these, these uh, uh, passages. Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. This, this verse was given to me by a man named Brother Bak Singh on the day of my, on the day of my uh, uh, baptism. And he, and, he, and he had me read this verse, and it says in Isaiah 41, verse 10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. It is this verse that again and again strengthened me in my life. I remember in graduate school just all these pressures coming in upon me and all these things happening and wondering, am I ever going to get a job? Will I ever get a, a job as a professor? Will I ever be able to do that? And I remember the assurance that I would get from this verse. I'd meditate on this verse. Do not fear for I am with you. Don't anxiously look about you. you. You don't have to look around and say, oh, that person's better than me, that person's better than me. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you by my righteous right hand, and I would envision myself being held up by God's right hand. And I would come out of those prayer times like a roaring lion. Just from a passage like this, we endure by seeing Him who is unseen. It is not these miracles that, oh yeah, God did a miracle in my life. Those fade away. We have an amazing way to explain away miracles. Oh, well maybe I was imagining it. Maybe I was just thinking about that. You know, it just is a, my imagination. You know, my imagination gets like that when I get tired. But when you know God... And you see Him who is unseen, that will sustain you. It is out of a depth of relationship with God that Moses was sustained. He says, He saw Him who is unseen. 
This is why I say, get hold of His Word. Let His Word fill you. Let the treasure of the Word of God be there. That is the thing that will sustain you in life. If you understand His Word and how powerful His Word is, I don't have to worry about you. You will be fine in life. You'll be sent to some foreign land. You'll be fine. If you learn how to extract truth from His Word. You will see Him who is unseen and you will be just fine. It is a matter of taking the Word of God and implanting it within your life daily. Daily meditation on the Word of God and get that implanted in your life. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. It says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. The last of the ten plagues in Egypt was this, that God was going to kill every firstborn male in Egypt. Why? Because Pharaoh had tried to kill every firstborn male, every male of the children of Israel. And he said, you tell Pharaoh, you tried to kill my son, Israel is my firstborn son. You tried to kill my son, I will kill your son. God said that. God told Moses to tell him that. And God's going to follow through on this. The way the children of Israel were protected is they were supposed to take a lamb, and it says they could take him either either from from, from a goat or from from the sheep. They were to take a lamb or a kid. They were to slay that animal. And they were to take some of the blood and they were to put it on the doorposts of their house and on the lintel, so all around the doorposts of their house. They were to sprinkle that blood. Then they were to go in, they were to roast this, and they were to eat it. By doing that, God said, the angel of death would not be allowed in your homes. By doing that act, And he made it a perpetual covenant. He made it a covenant to the children of Israel and to this day. You go to Israel. I mean, the Passover is a big time. They still are observing the Passover. But he said, you do this little thing where you sprinkle this blood and it's going to stop the angel of death from coming into your home. How can this be? Think about it. Does this make any sense? Here is this man, Moses, goes to Pharaoh. Think about what it was like in Egypt. In Egypt, you had, you had technologically the most advanced society, artistically the most advanced society that there had been to that day. You had the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh. And here is this 80-year-old man with the word of God in his heart, who says, let our people go. We are going to worship God in the wilderness. Let us go. Messianic movements are never popular. Think about our mission. To say, there is a man who died 2,000 years ago. He died and he rose again from the dead. And because of that, we worship him. And he is God come to earth. And think about that from the world's perspective. 
Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I mean, people die. They don't rise up. You got any more data points on that? Show me some other people. It doesn't happen. They're never popular. And then you say, oh, and by the way, there's going to be a bunch of plagues that are going to come. And if you don't follow him, you're going to end up in hell forever. I mean, think about this word. In the context of the world, it's a very strange thing, the things that we proclaim. And then God says, you sprinkle this blood and the angel of death won't come into your home. And we're told not only to believe these things, but to preach these things. Think about the two things that we're supposed to do that seem really odd. One of them is baptism. We are commanded to be baptized just as the Lord himself was baptized. I mean, does that make any sense? They're going to take me and they're going to dunk me underwater and pull me back up because the Lord said that I should do this. God calls us to things that may not make a whole lot of sense at times, but we are to walk in obedience. And I'll tell you from my own observation, from my own observation, if a person has never been baptized as an adult, making a decision themselves to go into the waters of baptism and to follow the Lord, that they will never go far in their understanding of the scriptures and in ministry. That's been my own observation. Because there's a glaring act of disobedience standing right there in our lives. You say, well, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. Be embarrassed. Be embarrassed. I'm not ashamed at all to say, be embarrassed for the Lord. You want to speak up about Jesus? You'll be embarrassed. People will look at you like, you really believe that stuff? I mean, come on, you're a scientist. How does science, you know... Does that stuff really work as a scientist? If you've not been baptized, be baptized. He told the children of Israel, he says in verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through the dry land and the Egyptians when they attempted it were drowned. It says when they walked through the Red Sea, it was like walls of water on either side. God pushed the waters back with a wind. And it was like walls of water. Twice he says it in Exodus chapter 14. Not once, but twice he says it was walls of water on either side of them. So think of this wall, a wall of water. This wall, a wall of water. And you're to walk down the middle through this with your children with your families. They could have easily given up and just said to the Egyptians, okay, we're coming back. It's not easy to walk with the Lord. He calls us to things. The other thing that He calls us to that makes no sense to the world is the Lord's Supper. Makes no sense to the world. You mean when you take that little piece of bread and that cup, you, you think that that's the body and the blood of Jesus? Jesus said, unless a man eats my flesh, in John chapter 6, unless a man eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he has no part of me. And the people said to him, this makes no sense to us. Makes no sense. And so you know what Jesus did to help clarify it for them? 
He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in yourself. Uh, you wish you would have, you know, packaged the metaphor a little bit differently. He just said it over again. It's sort of like when you, you ask a professor a question because he explained something and you didn't understand it. And he says exactly the same thing he said the first time. You're like, ah, uh, you know, was looking for a little bit different explanation because the first one didn't work. It's exactly what Jesus did. He said exactly the same thing again in John chapter 6. And then it says because of that, his disciples left him. Left him. Because they said, this guy's crazy. How can we eat your flesh and drink your blood? It says they left him. And Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. Come on back. Metaphor. Metaphor. No, he let him go. Then he said to the twelve, do you guys want to go too? Peter said, we have nowhere to go. We have come to know and to believe that you are the Holy One of God. God calls us to this, to take the Lord's Supper. Then he goes on to say, he says, unless a man judges this body rightly, he brings judgment upon himself. It's a very strange thing. You know this Passover thing? He calls us to the Lord's Supper. So if, if you look in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, first, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, and you look down, say, uh, look down in, in verse 29. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Remember, sleep in the New Testament is the code word for dead. Remember, Jesus said, she's not dead, she's only asleep. And the people laughed at him. Sleep always meant death of the believer. Lazarus, he said, is asleep. And they said, oh, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. And Jesus said, he's dead. In the New Testament, sleep is the code word for death of the believer. What brings upon the death of the believer? Weakness and sickness upon the believer. Not judging the body rightly. Not believing that there's some power in taking of the bread and of the cup. You think only the children of Israel were confronted with things that were hard for the word of God, for the world to grasp? What about baptism? What about the Lord's Supper? That is, we take of the bread and drink of the cup. God calls us to certain things that are really important in our lives. And it says, when we don't judge it rightly, you think, well, I'll, I, I just don't want to mess with it. I'll avoid it. I just won't take of the bread and the cup because just in case I don't judge it rightly. Well, if you take it without judging it rightly, what do you think the penalty would be for not taking it at all? When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, you think you're going to get out of it by not taking it? No, he calls us to a place of introspection. He says, let a man, in, ver in verse 28 of Hebrews, uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In other words, you don't go through, through self-examination and say, oh, I got some trash here, so I think I just won't partake of the bread and the cup. I mean, that, that penalty's got to be even worse. 
He says, what happens is it brings weakness and sickness upon you. And for this reason, many believers are dead because they haven't judged this rightly. If the children of Israel had not put the blood on their doorposts and on the lintel around their door, the angel of death would have gone into their home and killed the firstborn son. It was only by the act that they were protected. It was not being a child of Israel. It was by the act of obedience. And he calls them back to an act of faith. He says, by faith, Moses endured by seeing him who was unseen. By faith, they went through the Red Sea. By faith, they did these things. It was an act of faith. You do these things. He's calling them to an act of faith. He says, by faith, they endured. By faith, they had the Passover. They put this blood over. That is what protected them. This act of faith, the act of faith. Faith brings in action. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. Faith that God was said, go through. Go through this walls of water. It is dangerous. It is not always easy to walk in faith. Not always easy. When you're a parent and you have a child and your child tells you they want to go on a mission trip to a place like where it's not very peaceful, where things could happen, what are you going to do? You're saying, no, my child is precious to me. Well, Jesus said, if you, anyone who loves mother or father or son of daughter or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's what Jesus said. So I remember when my children were young, I'd have their picture on the wall when I was, when I'd have my devotions in the morning and I would always look at their picture and say, Lord, may I never stand in the way of what you want to do in their lives. May I never stand in the way. Because the biggest obstacle to Christian missions is Christian parents. Because they love their children more than they love Jesus. That's what Jesus says. You say, well, you know, do a mission trip in, in Houston. Why do you have to go far away? Let Christians over there take care of it. Do you love your child more than you love Jesus? He calls us to certain things and it is by faith, Lord, I trust you. I trust your word. I trust him who is unseen. And this doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just get this faith overnight. It is not an experience of, I just saw this. It is taking his word and making it your meditation. And then he calls us to certain acts that are dangerous, that are not comfortable, that make no sense to the world. The act of baptism is silliness to the world. But that's what he calls us to. The act of eating the bread and drinking of the cup is silliness to the world. But Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what he called us to. And he went so far as to say, unless a man eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, he has no part of me. Makes no sense to the world. But then there is power. There is power in this. You walk with God and there is power. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
you walk in obedience to God, you can take this verse and make it a part of your own life. So many times I have looked at this and God has taken this verse and encouraged me and seen me through in times where in my flesh I wanted to give up. But God will see you through by the power of His Word. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. You are so good. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn what it is to know to see him who is unseen. Even as Paul said, the Lord stood at my side and said, you have solemnly witnessed to me in Jerusalem. You must witness at Rome also. He saw him who is unseen. Father, I pray for these young people that they would see him who is unseen and that would be enough to sustain them. Father, that they would see you in the word of God and make that their daily meditation. Father, take hold of their lives, I pray. Awaken them, I pray. Awaken them. Father, I pray there be any here who have never witnessed you in the waters of baptism, made a conscious decision to witness you in the waters of baptism. Father, I pray that you draw them to that. If they felt the, 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 the touch of conviction this morning, Father, I pray that they would take that step and be baptized and not let there be that glaring act of disobedience holding them back. Father, if there, if there be ones here who have not taken of the Lord's Supper and made that a part of their lives, Father, I pray that they would walk in what you have for them. Let them walk in obedience, I pray, to you and to your word. Father, I pray that they would take hold of the Word of God and take truths from the Word of God and make that a part of their lives. So in that, they would endure by seeing Him who is unseen. Father, draw them to You. And Father, for those here who do not know You, save their souls, I pray. I pray that this very day they would pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And I commit these precious ones to you. I commit them to you and as many of them will be traveling over the next few weeks. Father, protect them especially, I pray, for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.